There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, what's up, my Woods people? I'm Tyler Jones, and this is the Backcountry Miniseries from the Element Podcast. Casey, fill them in. Since we are diving headfirst into the backcountry hunting this season, we decided to call in some help and talk to some experts that know how to crush it in the backcountry. So make sure and subscribe, and if this is helpful, we'd love for you guys to give us a five-star rating and an iTunes review. Absolutely. Now let's get into it, because I still have a lot of Mountain House flavors to try before September gets here. We've got Jake Morrison with Lux on the phone today. Jake, how's it going, man? Hey, hi, guys. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on here on your show. I'm much appreciated. Yeah, yeah no dude. problem, dude. We're kind of excited to talk to you. You know, uh, one of the cool things about uh, the podcast world in general is getting to know and talk to people all over the country. And uh, I can say before we started podcasting, like my group of friends and acquaintances was kind of centered around pretty much most of the eastern half of Texas. And now, you know, you just kind of end up with friends all over the place. And it's kind of cool where adventure can take you. So where where is Lux at? Uh, we're located on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. Nice. So that's roughly around four miles west of uh, Seattle, if you want to put it in that perspective. Yeah, okay, yeah. I uh, did a little fishing last uh, spring around the uh, the Narrows Bridge over there and uh, didn't actually have any success, but I saw my first seal, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> so, you know, you got to take those wins when you get them. But uh, it's, a, it's a cool part of the country. So is that where you're from? Is kind of that OP area? Yeah, yes, sir. I've been uh, born and raised here. Um, I I was roughly in the military for a bit, but then I came back, and uh, I don't plan on leaving, actually. Uh, <laughs> I got you, man. It's paradise for sure. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool country. It's big trees, deer and elk everywhere, and just beautiful stuff, man, for sure. So um, is that kind of where you got your first taste of, like, backpacking adventure, kind of backcountry-style um, adventures? 
Yeah, and then I also, my crazy old man, he would take us up in the South Cascades all the time around the Mount St. Helens area. So when I grew up as a teenager, I was either in the Olympic Mountains or I'd be in the Mount St. Helens area. Yeah. Uh, so, but in Washington, for sure. Gotcha. Um, my mom was around that area on a family vacation whenever uh, St. Helens erupted. Were you around back when that happened? Yeah, I was actually just born. Yeah. Um, they call us uh, St. Helens babies, um, the babies that were born just right before um, it blew. Yeah, um, man, that's crazy. But they got pictures of me with ash and stuff like that, with, you oh. know, like little baby pictures. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. No, that's cool. So um, how did you uh, kind of come into, uh, you know, building shelters for a living? Um, just primarily because I... I'm avid outdoorsman, fishing, hunting, hiking, just like uh, most people. Um, and then I used to dirt bag for roughly three or four years. Um, got my start as an outdoor blogger, and I just ran my own little blog for a while cool. when that was a big deal yeah. back in the day. So um, um, I might I be... Decided... Oh, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I might be unfamiliar with what the term dirt bagging or being a dirt bagger means. Can you tell us what that is? Uh, dirt bagging is just a term. They have dirt bag skiers. I'm sure they have dirt bag hunters. Ah, uh, uh, like see. Hiker, kind of like a trout junkie or you, something. Yeah, where you just work only a minimal amount of time just so you have enough money for food and stuff. But oh. then that rest of that time, you're in the backcountry um, doing what? A lot of people wish they were doing for uh, – it's called living the dream, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. living the life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's cool. And then so you did, you did the blogging thing for a while? Yeah, back in the day before YouTube and Instagram and all that good stuff, it was like outdoor blogging was like the thing. Um, and I got my start on that just because I was just sharing it with my family. Yeah. Um, and then I post some pictures and stuff like that. But then more people – just like YouTube or Instagram, like more people that see your stuff and give you compliments, it becomes an addiction, like a dopamine thing, you know? And so uh, that's where I originally got my start. No, that's... Off of that dopamine fix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of those things that's just hard to beat, right? No matter if it's uh, mm-hmm. that kind of deal or if you're just getting out and having an adventure, you know, it's kind of hard to, to not want to go and do more of that kind of stuff. What do you think was your first uh, backcountry experience? Um, uh, roughly say, uh, for like an overnight would just be like an old man taking us in the Olympics and we would just take like a fishing pole, like a cheap, uh, goodwill used tent and just go up and, um, spend like a little family type trip, uh, in the back country. Uh, but I learned, uh, because he wasn't much of a preparer, I've learned to be a more, do a lot more research because we'd end up in a lot of weird situations uh unprepared type situations um but uh back then it was probably more normal um <laughs> to just go and wing it don't look at the weather don't worry about clothing and just go for it but then you'll learn like oh yeah sleeping on snow with nothing but a bit of a saran wrap really isn't that fun <laughs> oh no so you start to <laughs> start to do a little bit more research about gear and weather and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, that the technology of materials and all that has changed more, or do you think, like, just that 
the information side of things has changed more since back then to where, like, you know that you can actually get good weather reports and good information about trails and stuff? I think it's like a mix of everything as we evolve uh, as humans and in the outdoors. Um, now with algorithms, they're pretty good about weather prediction, uh, especially in our area where it's very rapidly changing. Um, about 48 hours out, that they're roughly wrong, um, not because it's all computers guessing it. No, that's cool. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of weird how, like, I don't know, you almost can take, like, your personal intuition still and, and probably do a better job than what, than what uh, you can see on the 10-day sometimes, you know, especially if you've been out and you've done it, as opposed to just trusting, like, what some meteorologist from across the country has said about what you got going on. But... Um, do you feel like um, that, you know, your sleep systems have really come a long way since, you know, a while ago you said you talked about, like, the Goodwill tents and stuff that y'all used to have. Uh, has your your take on sleep systems changed a lot, or you just kind of refined what used to work and, and made it a better deal? I think that just comes with experimentation and trying different things and figuring out what works best for you. The more time that you're going to spend in the backcountry, the more um, comfortable you're going to be in those scenarios in regards to gear. Um, like I've went through phases where I've carried like a 75-pound pack just for a weekend. Oh. Um, and then I went to the extreme phase where I was only like a five-pound base weight, like super minimal. Um, but then I've learned to find the happy balance in between. Um and then when I plan my trips, not one scenario is the same when it comes to gear. Um, I'm always, I'm experienced enough to know where I can just, if it's like going to be this type of trip, I could just grab this bit of kit. Um, if it's going to be cold, I can bring extra stuff and be, bring a winter gear list. Um, so it's not always the same. Right. Um, but like I said, it, that just comes with time in the woods and then you got to figure out what works best for you right yeah for sure man that's uh, that's obviously experience is a a big thing which is why we're we're interviewing you experience uh and some of these other experienced outdoorsmen and women that we have had on the series so far um you know for 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 the listener that doesn't quite know what what all do you guys produce there at lux um, so our main thing is um, like a teepee-shaped tents or pyramid-shaped tents, mm-hmm. um, and they're all modular. So that means you can run them floorless, or if you choose, you can use a bathtub floor, which just means that it doesn't have any type of door or bug netting on it. It's just like the floor mm-hmm. part. Um, or you can clip in a full inner tent, which makes it a double-wall tent or like a, uh, a dome tent. So you're essentially just clipping in a dome tent style living area inside the teepee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very versatile in that regard. Uh, gotcha. And then we, uh, because a lot of people <clears throat> requested this through the years, so we started to evolve into uh, more of the stove jack stuff um, as that became more of a trend in hunting mm-hmm. because of YouTube and Instagram and stuff people are like oh hey i can have a lightweight set, hot tent set up uh for a fairly reasonable price mm-hmm. and i'm only carrying in um way under 10 pounds for a stove and a tent um i can go out for two weeks and i don't have to be miserable um 
especially if you're going to do a full uh, season of hunt in the backcountry. Uh-huh. Uh, that's a good option. Um, and so we decided to carry stoves as well as we evolved as a company. Gotcha. Um, and so many of our customers will get the stove and the tent, like a one-stop shop type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then we also carry some uh, tarp options. Uh, like one of the tarps that we uh, carry is a 16-foot by 16-foot tarp. So that's more like a base camp um, or a car camping or a lot of our customers that do horse packing. Mm-hmm. We'll get the tarp just to protect the stock um, mm. in the backcountry. Um, and that's about it, just tarp stoves and uh, like teepee-style tents. Yeah, so what's the advantage of that teepee-style tent as opposed to what you'd see is more like a domed type? Um, the main advantage would be the wind uh, shedding. Um, and then it's important with any tent design, even dome tents, that the rain fly is able to go all the way to the ground, all the way in every direction. So you have 360-degree protection. Because a lot of the times, hunting uh, or any type of winter camping is done in bad weather. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're able just to batten down the hatches and sit out a storm if you want um, with uh, a teepee or a four-season type tent. Right. Um, So that... so. Um, and where you you guys are at, y'all probably deal with a lot of rainfall, and so you know I think you'd probably be a good guy to talk a little bit about just the importance of keeping things dry, and not just uh, necessarily uh, you know maybe starting with the tent, but then also um, as far as packs go, a sleeping bag, and all that. Like, what does your system look like for keeping everything dry? Yeah, so one thing I didn't touch on about the TP benefits is that you do have the option to run it floorless. Um, and so bouncing back to the rain, so you're actually, when you have a floorless tent, you're able to um, fully pack up all your sleeping bag and your sleeping pad and get ready to go when you're backpacking. And then the last thing that you take down is that TP shelter. Um and so that's a huge advantage in that really rainy weather. Um, so you're not sitting there packing up all your gear in the rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, what I tell people, when because I, I take friends in the backcountry or whoever, sometimes industry people or whatever, but I say, hey, pre- plan if you're going to trip and fall into a river. Um, so you've got to be that prepared. So pretty much everything is either in a like a trash compactor bag, like a bag liner, or uh, dry sacks, um, so that, that would be sleeping bag and clothes and camera. Everything has to be protected because we do. So we are in the west side in Force, Washington. That actually gets the most rainfall in the lower 48. Um, wow. So we get a ton of rain. Um, and so, and then layers. Um, I always tell people, um, so leave like merino stuff at home when you come onto the peninsula and just focus <laughs> yeah. on synthetics. So like uh, polyesters and um, basically just fleece and yeah. polyester shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then have a good pair of three or four pairs of socks so you're always just rotating. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. So on those <laughs> shelters... Um, so 
I guess I'm just I need to be educated a little bit more about like how the system works with keeping water actually out from like say you're going to run a floorless shelter. Um, is it about like site selection or how do you keep water from actually coming in and infiltrating like underneath the fly? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I tell people is you would set it up like any tent. Um, essentially, you want to be on slightly higher ground, so that does come down to campsite selection. Um, so when the, all the rain runs off the shelter, it's got to go somewhere, so you want it to be away from your sleeping area. Um, so I guess you'd be like a golfer and you'd be out there analyzing uh, <laughs> the campsite, <laughs> making sure... That you got the slope right, um, but that's definitely number one. Uh, you hit it on the nail on the head. There would be the campsite selection, yeah, um, with a floorless tent. I got you. Um, and even I've even had some dome tents, and I've woke up before when I was inexperienced, and I was flooded um, because I slept in a low point. Um, and you don't make that mistake twice. <laughs> I don't imagine that actually happened to you. <laughs> One of my best friends uh, on Tyler and I, uh, with two other guys, were going on a, a elk. It was a, just a truck camping situation, you know. But we had one of those big mm-hmm. TPs that you know, kind of is a, like a tin on the bottom with a TP top or whatever. And he was the guy mm-hmm. who got stuck in the the low spot, and it came a flood that night. And okay. <laughs> We're on a completely different end of the country than you are, right? Like, <laughs> you, you probably understand the concept of rednecks a little bit. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm surrounded by them. I live with them. <laughs> <laughs> so we're pretty redneck down here. And uh, his uh, expression, first thing he woke up, is <laughs> he said, man, you could have a whole stand of crappie in this butt bundle I'm in, which means a whole school of fish. But <laughs> it was a pretty funny deal. But, uh, you know, um, I guess kind of along with that, the the concept of just being floorless in general is a little bit foreign to me. Uh, I like the idea because, yeah, maybe like you're dealing with a touch more, I don't know, dirt and and grass or whatever the you know you might be setting up on uh but you got a tyvek sheet or something ground sheet you lay down but then you don't actually have to deal with cleaning out the inside but it just seems like to me that i don't know critters or dust and things can get in there do you take any preparation for that kind of stuff or do you ever like pile things to the side of the tent to kind of make a good seal along the fly no i think in regards to the floorless i think you touched it again, that nail on the head, where um, one of the major benefits is for cleanliness, actually, because you're not tracking sand and pine needles and stuff into your sleeping area. Yeah. Um, And so you're a lot cleaner that way. Another one of the major benefits that is really important to touch on would be the weight savings that you get from a floorless. But bouncing back to your question would be – I would say it would be area dependent. If I'm going to go in Utah, when the snakes throw and stuff, I'm definitely going to use an inner tent because there's people that will be like, oh, yeah, the snakes won't climb in there um, in your sleeping area and stuff to try to keep warm or whatever. But I'm just a little paranoid. I've watched too many Westerns uh, growing up. <laughs> the, the scene with the rattlesnake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, – when we're out here in the West, uh, we don't have to worry about that as much. The main culprit would be mosquitoes, obviously, but they're not around all the time, and then uh, mice. So how I combat that is I try to stay away from designated areas where people set up camp 
all the time uh-huh. um, because that tends, the mice know, like, hey, there's a food source for people dropping their crumbs at Mountain House or whatever. Um, so they kind of hoard around that area. Um, but other than that, um, it becomes just like a mental thing at that point. I think it's because <laughs> your first time you're like, oh, this is kind of weird because it's something new. But after you get more uh, hands-on time with uh, sleeping floorless or even under a tarp, uh, you'll actually sleep a little bit better, in my opinion, because you get a little bit of air coming through there and you sleep better. Uh, yeah. with a little cold air coming through at night and stuff. And you're not just like trapped inside like a uh, tent capsule. Hmm. You mentioned um, an inner tent. Can you kind of explain what that is and how it works? Yeah, so basically a teepee um, is fully... Um, sufficient by itself as a shelter but we do have an option where you can clip in or stake in or however you want to configure it an inner tent which is uh, uh let me see how to word this basically it's like a dome tent without the poles and so it just clips in um and then you would have a floor you would have a bug protection you would have a zipper door that's on the inside of the teepee. Um, and so that would give you that protection from the mosquitoes, mice, scorpions, whatever. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Well. No, that's cool. And then, uh, the teepee becomes a double wall tent at that point when you use an inner tent, and then you're going to drastically lower your risk of condensation. Um, because it becomes like a uh, mountaineering tent at that point in regards to condensation. I got you. Um, so say you do run it, you know, without the inner tent and you do have condensation issues, do you just ball it up and just go uh, in the morning or do you take time to try to dry that off with a sponge or something? Um, that would be uh, situation uh, specific, yeah. but I tend, especially in my climate, is very wet. So I always be proactive with condensation. So even if it's pouring down rain, I'll leave a door halfway cracked mm-hmm. just as a precaution because I don't want to deal with it yeah. later. Um, and so if you just plan ahead and with hands-on time in the backcountry, you would know like, oh, hey, it's dry. We're in the desert. We don't really have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or hey, we're in the wettest place, it's pouring down rain for two days straight, <laughs> I need to be super proactive with condensation and, yeah. and try to prevent it. Yeah, I got you. Um, but when I get lazy, I would say if I'm not hunting or whatever, I will wait for the sun to dry it out if I don't have like a destination mm-hmm. to yeah. go to. So in a TP tent, uh, you're really just running – you know, it's not like a dome tent where you have like different poles and stuff that kind of are interlocking and go together. You just kind of have like a one center pole and there's kind of, uh, there's a couple options for what that looks like. Can you kind of explain how that works? Yeah. So, the, uh, a teepee. So most dome tents are like a, what they call a freestanding tent, which mm-hmm. means that you don't require to put in stakes. It'll kind of just sit up on its own and then, uh, you could just kind of droop the fly over if you wanted, if the weather was good. Uh, but a teepee is what they call a non-freestanding tent, which means that it's required to use stakes in to support it. And this, uh, the main structure is the center pole, like you touched on. Um, with most of our teepees, you could either hang it up from a top loop off a tree branch if you don't want to have a center pole, or um, you can lash two trekking poles 
or use a single checking pole, depending on which TP that you chose, um, or we offer a dedicated tarp pole. Um, the benefits of that is very simple to set up a TP-style shelter because you're just laying out the tent, putting a few stakes in, you put the pole in at the proper length, stake out the rest, and you're done. And you're essentially you just erect it like a a small cabin at that point, especially if you add a wood stove. Um, so you, it's like a mental thing where you're like, hey, I have this refuge. So no matter what happens outside, if I'm going to be in the backcountry for an extended period, that I could always come back and have that set up. Um, mm-hmm. Be able to keep warm and dry and all that good stuff. Sure, cool. So. Um, what kind of, I mean, I would imagine that, uh, you're pretty specific about what sleeping bag you have with the, the wet climate that you tend to be in. What, uh, what kind of bag are you running? Yeah. So that is uh, a rabbit hole conversation, like a lot of things about gear, um, <laughs> but I, I run down, uh, some people would say, Oh, Hey, synthetics better than wet. But I, my philosophy is I protect that down at all costs. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm not using it, it's in some sort of either a shell or a dry sack at all times. Um, Because what does happen with down in a wet climate is that the the loft, even when if it's just laying out in in your tent, there's so much moisture in the air, it'll start to absorb the moisture. Um, And then it becomes, you lose some of the warmth ratio. Yeah. But to combat that, I actually use a really cold sleeping bag. So then that gives myself like a 20 degree um, room for error. Okay. I hate sleeping cold. So that would be a zero degree for me unless it's summer is what I use. Yeah. Um, and so how are you, how are you protecting the bag in that damp climate? You know, obviously when you're sleeping in it, um, do you have issues with the with the bag, you know, just condensation and whatever else might be happening in a really humid or, or a wet climate? Do you have any issues there and how you protect it while you're sleeping? Um, and so, again, I just be proactive with the condensation issue where I leave, make sure that there's airflow coming into the shelter okay. by leaving the door cracked um, if it's really wet. Um, and then I don't have issue. I just, like... Uh, so what I used when I pack in my backpack is I use like a through hiker style, which just means you take a trash compactor bag, you put it inside your backpack at the bottom, and then you fill your sleeping pad or excuse me, sleeping bag into that trash compactor bag, and then you seal it and push out all the air from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'm in camp, I use that same trash compactor bag to store my sleeping bag just loosely lofted, and then that helps keep the moisture off of it. Um, when it's just laying around uh, when you're out on a day hike. Gotcha, gotcha. So what kind of uh, pad are you laying that bag on at night? Um, I try not to mention brands, but for the, it's hard to be like a climate yeah. uh, sleeping pad because of the cost to value ratio mm-hmm. is so good. Um, and so like if it's in the winter, cold weather, I'll use like just like insulated uh, sleeping pad but in the summer i'll just use just a bare air pad um from them and so they can mail me a check for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. we'll get on we, that list too yeah, yeah we yeah. actually uh <laughs> yeah. we interviewed bart miller from climate and uh so he'll I'll, we'll reach out to him and let him know that he owes you pretty big <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah cool man 
what kind of uh, what kind of trekking poles are you using in that system? Uh, we actually uh, Lox has their own trekking pole that are designed to use for our shelters. So they're oh. carbon, they're three piece, um, and then they're um, kind of overbuilt for a carbon pole um, because it's important with a TP to have a strong pole. Mm-hmm. Um, since if that pole breaks, then your whole shelter fails. Um, and so you don't want to go uh, cheap on that regard. Um, and then the pole has the ability with an adapter to either extend it to make it longer, or we have an adapter that you can connect two trekking poles together if you have, like, let's say, seven-foot-tall teepee mm-hmm. that you want to put up. Gotcha. Um, that's a big. That's a big team. Now you're talking like a large structure there. Uh, I guess y'all have quite a few options. I mean, what's so? Um, not to just go crazy deep into your catalog or whatever, but like for a, no, yeah. a backcountry, <laughs> like just for like a, a general backcountry. Say in this instance, like for a backcountry hunt that we're going to do, we're probably going to have our own personal tents and you know, kind of store our own gear in our own uh, own shelter. Uh, what's like? the good option for that that y'all offer? Um, I would say you would take a look at your height first and then what season you're going to be out in yeah. um, is how I would uh, make my suggestions. Mm-hmm. But most people, if you're just doing like a light and fast uh, early season hunt, would be like a hex peak uh, two-person, and then that just sets up with a trekking pole, and you don't need any adapters. Gotcha. Cool. I uh, don't plan on really ever spending much time in the snow in a tent it's just not my thing i'm not a i'm not a late season camper man i i like the truck or an rv or something when it comes to that time period but you know like you're talking about those good temperature temperate times of years you know that's when it's time to get out there and uh and spend some time in a tent for that's, sure that's you talking to a texan right yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah my marketing guys from austin so i'm I'm pretty familiar with the Yeah. 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 You know how we are wusses when it comes to the cold, for sure. (laughs) So uh, in the morning, you wake up and you've had a great night. You don't have bad condensation because you were smart with your uh, little door opening and everything, which you do need to kind of warm up or, or, uh, you know, get some food in your belly. What does your food system look like for when you go on a backcountry trip? Yeah, my usual routine in the backcountry is I, as soon as I get up, I actually just go for a little walk and look for tracks or do whatever to kind of get the blood going, and that mm-hmm. really helps keep you warm, actually. And then fire up coffee, and then my traditional, if it's like a cold weather, I'll just do something hearty like oatmeal or something like that. Yeah. But in the summer, I don't really care about having hot things because it's already like 70 degrees by the time you wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I even, what they do, it's like trendy and hunting right now is uh, like stoveless is what they call it. So you would, uh, you don't even need a stove and you just have bars and different things that are already prepared. Uh, they can just add water to. Man, it just sounds so rough. Like, I know that you're saying it's warm in the summer and everything, but there's just something about like a warmer meal uh, that just is kind of good for like your heart and for your mentality while you're you're out there. I, I just don't think I could do the stoveless thing. Do you do it pretty often? Yeah, but it technically, I definitely agree with what you're saying. It's like a boom, a little mental trigger that goes off. Yeah. Um, even if you're sore and tired, you have that hot meal on your instant like a new man um, or a woman. Um, but 
when you spend enough time in the backcountry, you just experiment with different things uh, to kind of mix it up. Because if you just do the same thing every time, it kind of takes the uh, um, the excitement and adventure out of it. Mm-hmm. So you just like, oh, I'm going to leave the stove at home this trip and just kind of play with that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not there yet, for sure. I'll just put it there. <laughs> I have enough adventure as is. I don't have to go stove. <laughs> yeah. How, how often are you, uh, you know, like you got a fishing rod with you and catch a few fish and you're like, oh, I'm going to throw these on a stick. And, you know, or, you know, if you do have a stove with you or something like that, like how often are you, are you, uh, does that, you know, work into your your system i guess of eating um that would be definitely trip dependent if you're trying to get point a to point b you really don't have time to like Mm -hmm. prepare fish but for a good type of trip where it's relaxing then for sure where you just set up a base camp you just go and fish that's like your that's the goal of the trip Mm -hmm. um so you can definitely i don't bring food or excuse me, I don't like leave food at home and say like, "Oh, hey, I'm gonna catch fish," uh, because that's a bad idea. <laughs> so it's kind of just like a topper, so you could use that fish meat to add to stuff that you already have. Gotcha. Like, yeah. yeah. Like if you had some lasagna, you could throw some fish in there. Yeah, yeah. Something. Fish lasagna. Sounds pretty tasty. <laughs> you know, it's funny the combinations you can come up with when you spend a little time out there. You know, like we were talking to somebody earlier who was saying uh, they, you know, combine ramen and instant mashed potatoes, and it's like uh, pot pie. I'm like, uh, it's like that. It's not quite, you know, but I can just think of stuff. Like, for instance, I'm, I love the... Uh, uh, the pre-made bacon peanut butter sandwiches, I do that all the time. And that's like something you don't eat mm-hmm. at home, but something about like that fat and that protein in the backcountry really just, man, it just hits the spot, you know, but it's just not something that you you do as much uh, in your own kitchen. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, definitely. Uh, even just like an Oreo cookie when mm. it's at home, it tastes kind of processed and like, ugh. Yeah, but then when you're in the backcountry, you could charge one cookie, your buddy, fifty bucks for it. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude, you could be making money on these trips, man. Come on, that's you what I'm talking it. about. That's what he does. When he's talking about you know from point A to point B, he's going to different campsites and he's like <laughs> yeah. the distributor of the yeah. Oreo cookies. He's yeah. like a dealer. There you go. Sponsored yeah. by Oreo. There yeah. you go. <laughs> there you go. We don't know anybody there. We can't hook you up for that. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, um, you know, I, I think. Um, I think of, you know, I kind of want to continue with this motif just a little bit here of staying dry. And um, I have a guy that I spent some time in British Columbia with that has tried a lot of different waterproof high-end gear. And uh, as far as, you know, staying waterproof while out being active, what kind of of jackets and pants and, and even boots, you know, what are you using there? Um, usually I just bring, like, let's say it's miserable weather at late season. It'll be, like, a base layer, and I'll do, like, sometimes three mid-layers, which usually are just different layers of fleece. And then I'll have just, like, a lightweight hard shell that I put on the outside of that. But essentially, in this climate, in my opinion, there's no gear that can withstand it. Um, so you can have like a $800 jacket and it's going to wet out uh-huh. uh, for sure. And so you just kind of have to accept that you're going to get wet. Um, <laughs> that Oof. becomes like a mental thing. Oh, yeah. And then dry clothes so when you get to camp is all protected in a dry sack. 
So there's something really important and huge to that where no matter what happens, even if you fall in the lake, you're able to get into your tent and put in on all these perfectly dry clothes um, and warm clothes. So that's huge. Yeah. Um, so when you go to when you go to change that out, like you set up your TP tent and you get up in there and hopefully it's a one man and you just like strip down naked and sit there until you dry off for like 20 minutes or how does that look, you know? Yeah, that's where it falls back to my suggestion on leaving Merino at home. Uh, a polyester will actually dry as you're wearing it. Um, even if it was soaking wet, if you just keep wearing it, um, it'll dry out pretty fast. Yeah, it sounds uncomfortable, but efficient, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. That's Sometimes just, you just got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I guess that that's kind of almost what I'm learning from you is that it's not about trying to stay dry. It's about having what it takes to dry out, and that's what's going to matter more because you're like it's inevitable, right? The rain is just inevitable, and it's going to happen. Yep. But, but having the stuff that uh, – will help you survive through that and then dry out later is what's going to matter more. Definitely. And then I even, when I was a rookie, would just go practice in the yard in the worst rain possible. Um, And then that kind of like develops the confidence of like, oh, hey, I'm not going to melt away if it starts raining on me Mm -hmm. and my shirt gets wet. Yeah. but that's something you definitely have to build towards. And then it falls back on having that insurance policy in your dry sack. So no matter what happens, you stay safe. You can put on dry clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What about um, on the lower end of things? What about your boots? Um, so I keep it pretty minimal when it comes to footwear, even in the snow. So my thing is, uh, because I used to wear like a Danner. Uh, waterproof and no matter what your feet are going to sweat and then you're going to have wet socks no matter what uh-huh. um, so on that theory I go fully breathable um, and so you just embrace getting wet uh-huh. but then they dry out fast huh. and then I fall back into that synthetic which your feet will actually dry the socks as you're walking or whatever. Yeah. And then I just keep like a dry pair in my dry sack with all my other clothes. So when I get to camp, I can put on that bam, perfectly dry, warm sock. Um, and then I'm good to go. So I know you will let go. You said you don't want to talk brand too much, but I'm trying to envision what type of shoe or boot you're talking about. Can you kind of tell a little bit about like that synthetic breathable? <clears throat> and so you just want to look for something that didn't have like a lot of foam on the upper. Uh-huh. Um, and then it has a plenty of mesh. So it'd be like a trail runner, something like a, that a, um, a trail runner would wear. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got you. Like a Solomon or Las Sportiva. it has like a Vibram sole or a super grippy Vibram sole, but then the upper has a lot of mesh so your feet could breathe. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Do you, so do you, uh, when you're talking about getting back to camp and swapping out for a dry pair, do you keep a like a, pair of crocs or a camp shoe too in your pack yeah definitely i um just put on um like a sandal or um anything that's light and cheap a lot of the times that you find like you can go to the 
because essentially you're not like putting that much stress on it. So you yeah. can just buy anything cheap at that point because you're just lounging around. Right. That's, tent, that's um, like the only backcountry thing that is light and cheap. Usually light means expensive, but <laughs> in this case, yeah. it's the one thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, unless they call it hunting sandal. Oh, yeah. 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 Then it's, it's going to go 300% up. 300% markup. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, put a little camo on it. Yeah. So there you go. what, uh, what about you, you would mention that, um, you know, your, your socks would, uh, would help your shoes to kind of dry out. What, what is, what sock, what's the sock material, I guess, that, in the socks that you're packing? So you can just use like a wool, um, depends on the season. Um, or, uh, in the summer I'll go, we'll do like a merino sock, mm-hmm. um, I'll do like a wool or just a polyester. But what I tell people, especially if they're just getting into it, is become like a label reader of all clothing. Um, and so what I used to do when I was a dirtbag, I would just go to the Goodwill, and you can find all sorts of stuff in there. Um, and you just start reading the tag. And so what you're looking for is polyester. Um, you're not looking for, like, spandex blend or, like, um, lycra blend or anything like that. You want it to be 100% synthetic in that regard. Um, gotcha. And so before you buy any gear, definitely know what the material um, is made out of. And what I've actually noticed that in a trend in hunting industries that to keep the price down, they start to blend it with other things um, mm-hmm. to make their um, margins. Um, and so that's definitely a huge tip for hunters is, do your research, call customer service or whatever when it comes to hunting gear and figure out, like, is this 100% merino? Is this 100% polyester? Mm-hmm. So I feel that that's really important. Gotcha. So I, I would imagine uh, with in a wet climate, with your feet being wet quite a bit, uh, if you didn't have the right boot or shoe, uh, you could easily wear a hole in your foot. And so that kind of brings us to this question that I've asked a few people um, in this series, but what's in your first aid kit? Um, so my personal first aid kit would be depend on the only thing that's a variable would be tweezers if I'm going into the desert because of the cactus. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's just like um, I take a first aid kit that you buy, like let's say on Amazon, and I'll just go and field strip it down because a lot of the times they just put filler in there. Um, mm-hmm. of all these things. So I leave those things at home and only bring like, what's the essentials, uh, which would be like blister protection. And here's a hot tip on that is super glue, like the crazy glue. Mm-hmm. That's your number one blister um, prevention right there. Really? So as soon as you start getting a little red hot spot that you feel it, you stop, take a break, take your shoes off, and just put some of that crazy glue across the red hot spot let it dry and you'll need that blister's done at that point you don't have to worry about it anymore because they're essentially just forming a scab yeah the, um, dude it's it's crazy that it you crazy it's, it's crazy <laughs> no it, it's crazy that you mentioned that because and i i should have thought about that by now i'm a guitar player and like mm-hmm. i've known forever you know uh that when your fingers start getting to the point where they're really tearing up and hurting like 
put super glue on the ends of your fingertips and you have no like you can't oh, it's wow. crazy like you you'll be hurting like non-stop you put crazy glue on there and you can play forever you know what i mean so that's a good tip man i don't know that's why i didn't think about that i didn't know that was uh into the uh, guitar industry that's really interesting sure yeah. yeah i've been using that for about five years in all seasons and it actually hasn't failed me yet so and i've even fixed people's uh, um, I don't want to say gashes, but you know, like big scrapes and stuff where mm-hmm. it's like bleeding. But I'll just put it in the backcountry. I'll just put crazy glue right over it. Um, where I got that idea is they call it liquid stitches. Mm-hmm. There's like a medical uh, form of crazy glue that they use uh, liquid stitches. So if somebody needs like emergency stitches, they put this. Essentially, it's just crazy glue, but it has different. Uh, ingredients i'm sure mm-hmm. um, i think it's the lack of one ingredient in there is the only difference i believe but that's some yep. some ingredient that right. like california thinks is is poisonous i guess no. to people you know <laughs> one of those kind of deals i think <laughs> so yeah that's cool dude uh anything else going that pack or that first aid kit uh i i don't like to get hooked on painkillers but i just probably keep one in there for like all out emergency in mm-hmm. case you like shatter your leg or something um, but then um, just like ibuprofen and then like scrapes types of situations. And then it isn't a bad idea to put like some sort of gauze in case you did have bleeding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that you can stop that um, yeah. and make sure you have something for a tourniquet and stuff like that. But a lot of times that could be used with a belt or a handkerchief or something yeah. like that. Um, essentially, if it's something really serious and you're 15 miles back, um, you're not going to be able to stop it. Um, so you just kind of have to, when it comes down to prevention, so you yeah. just have to be extra be cautious and know, like, you got to be self-sufficient that an ambulance isn't going to run out and grab you. Um, they got to be prepared for that scenario. Mm-hmm. And then um, take your easy. Don't try to be Superman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no, there's, uh, there's times to be tough, and there's times to just be sensible, right? And I feel like safety is yep. one of those things that you need to be pretty sensible on. Um, so, you know, you're talking about like medication, painkiller, and stuff like that. You don't want to end up uh, being in the backcountry where you end up really sick to your stomach and with giardia or something like that. So, what about your water purification system? Are you like a a, a pump filter kind of guy or SteriPen, or what are you using? Well, here comes another plug, and I'll wait for my check. <laughs> I, I'm a long-time believer in the Sawyer squeeze is what I use, yeah. uh, even when I'm in the desert, like a Utah or whatever. Um, and then recently I started using, because you can't overhydrate, especially in the summer. There's a name for that. I can't think of it. It's like hyper whatever. Yeah. Anyways, basically, if you don't have enough salt-to-water ratio, that you can get really sick. Um, and then I've had that actually happen. So I'll do like salt and uh, potassium capsules that I got off of Amazon that I won't name. And then for really hot long trips, I'll actually bring these drops, which essentially it's like Gatorade mm-hmm. without all the extra filler. Yeah. It's just like a concentrated drop for electrolytes. Mm-hmm. And then I'll use that. Um, and then that helps also if you're in like Utah or something where the water tastes terrible. <laughs> uh, compared to us with Washington, yeah, um, it can kind of cover up that nasty uh, tannin algae type uh, taste as well. I got you. You know that Sawyer thing. Uh, I think that might be like a West Coast kind of thing because every person that we've talked to on the western side of the Rockies has probably used a Sawyer filter, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, 
I, I've done the SteriPen thing a good bit, but I'm gonna. I think that Sawyer thing is neat because I like the idea of just being able to collect dirty water real quick and then filter it later. It just seems very efficient. Yeah, definitely. I got it because back in the day. I used to really care about mileage, um, young and stupid. But <laughs> you can just scoop scoop the dirty water, and you can keep walking. Um, so you're able to be like super efficient and you're not distracted. And I think that covers or comes back into hunting too. Um, Cause when you're pulling your mind out of what you're there to do and you're worried about pumping water and doing all this, I think that does take away from the hunting experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and again, they can send me a check. <laughs> <laughs> we'll include your address at the bottom of the door. That yeah. way they can, they can get there easy. Uh, so we've talked a lot about all the different components, but sooner or later you got to put all this stuff in a pack and put it on your back. So what are you looking for in a pack that's going to serve your needs, uh, both as a backpacker and then as a hunter too? Yeah, so obviously hunters, especially if you're backpack hunting, you need a frame because you're going to be carrying out meat, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the hunting world and the backpacking world deficiate um, because most backpacks you would find like an REI or something like that, they have like a 35-pound net weight that you can carry with them. Um, and so... Do, definitely do your research on what's most important for you. What I've actually found, and I've owned several of the hunting brand um, systems, is that there's actually no perfect system. So I would say go on YouTube, read reviews, and then figure out um, what's best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, when you're new, you have no base to kind of make that decision on. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say then it becomes like price driven, um, like anything you yeah. have to figure out like, okay, what's my budget. And then I'm going to make this work. I don't essentially need a $700 pack to go on my first hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. as a budget option, I actually tell people that you can just buy the frame, buy the meat hauler. And many companies sell that separately without the backpack. Mm-hmm. And then you can use like an oversized dry sack or you can just use any backpack at that point. Like let's say you go down to the Goodwill or on Craigslist or whatever and you buy like a cheap Osprey backpack, we'll say. You can go and cut off all the shoulder straps, hip belt, and all the unnecessary stuff. And you can use that as your pack bag because you're essentially just strapping it on like you would do a hindquarter if that was a good explanation. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's cool. Um, I don't know if Osprey's going to send you a check like the other ones will if you start cutting on their <laughs> no, bag. <they> won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes that makes good sense and and I haven't really thought too much about like the budget option, but that's a that's a cool way of putting it. And you know, you're talking about hauling meat and stuff. Um I tend to think about like heat being an issue with meat in the backcountry and trying to make sure dissipating heat off the meat well and uh but I also know that like moist environments are super uh, conducive to you know bacteria and other things like that. So, are there considerations that you take uh, like in that you know that uh, Pacific Northwest environment that maybe other people don't really think about when it comes to like you know that type of environment being uh, better or for worse for meat care? 
definitely in all environments there's considerations uh, me personally if it's early season it would just be like a game bag that you can keep the flies off of that's like your number one thing so yeah you know, having like larvae and stuff on there and then keeping them out of direct sun so try to find a shady spot that you can go hang up your meat while you're still processing it so like let's say we'll get a hind quarter off we'll go and get that in the shade as soon as possible and try to be like proactive in that regard. Um, late season, it's pretty cold in the Pacific Northwest. It's like, it is wet, but roughly we'll say in late season, it's around 38 on average. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you don't have to worry about the bugs. You don't have to worry about the sun. Um, so it's pretty easy because uh, it is cold um, in that regard. But um, I would say just keeping the critters away from it would be the, another thing, which is you always just keep it hung up on something or um, don't leave it on the ground and make sure it has plenty of air. Um, so you're not putting it in like garbage bags or nothing. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, um, you know, when you start trying to uh, put that meat on your back to haul out and stuff, you know, you're talking about having a frame pack with being able to strap your meat to it and all, but there's a configuration for everything. So just in general, with, you know, meat there or not, um, how are you making sure that you're, you're efficiently packing your, your pack with all your gear to be able to access what you need, but also make sure that, you know, your, your weight is distributed in the, in the right manner? So that would be uh, trip-specific, I would say, and situation-specific. Yeah. So let's say you're only two miles away from your rig. Essentially, you can just leave all your backpacking to your back in camp, and you can just run your meat only um, would be an option. Um, but in regards to how you pack, you want to keep all your heavy stuff up against your core on your back, and then when you do your packing, which is really important, to be mindful that you want to put your like your loose, or I don't want to say loose, but like light and fluffy type stuff, like a jacket or something. You want that far away from your back. Um, and so essentially, you got all that heavy stuff right up against your frame, and then you won't get teeter-tottered over by putting the heavy stuff far away from the frame, if that was a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it totally makes um, sense. And so do your research on how to properly pack a backpack would be the best thing that you could do. Yeah. Um, YouTube is a great resource for that, for any new person. Um, YouTube can pretty much teach you anything these days. Oh, I know it. I'm a, I'm a carpenter <laughs> by trade, and uh, people think that – well, some might think that I am pretty good at what I do, but honestly, I just watch YouTube videos before I show up at work, and that way I know what I'm supposed to do today. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I'm not a mechanic at all, but I can learn how to about to do anything on my truck, you know, if I, if need be from YouTube. And it's just so cool to see some of the resources that we have nowadays. And we're pretty blessed, you know, between, like, mapping systems and, and stuff and YouTube and different things and, and smart people like you who have been, been out and done this stuff for so long and who are willing to kind of share their experiences and maybe lessen that learning curve for the rest of us. So we really appreciate that. Um, what is like, if you could give maybe somebody who is new to the idea of backpack hunting, um, or going out, you know, into the back country and hunting in, in like wilderness areas and stuff, what would be like one of your top tips for someone who's new to it, looking to get into it and trying to make the best choices possible? Um, do your research, uh, maybe have a mentor. Like for me, I 
tend to hang out with people that are like almost double my age because those <laughs> old guys, uh, they'll probably not be happy that I called them that, <laughs> but they have a lot of knowledge uh, that you can learn off of. Uh, and then number one thing I would say is after you do get your gear, don't pull your tent out of the box and go set it up in the backcountry your first time. So I always recommend do like a little mock run, even if you have a family at home or whatever, um, that you can invite your kids perhaps to join and just go set up your stuff, pack your backpack, put all your stuff together and practice in your yard. Um, and so that you're hands on familiar with your gear. I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, because I think one of the worst things, scenarios that could happen is that you're pulling the tent out, you've never set it up before, there's 15 mile an hour sideways wind and rain, and you're like trying to figure out how to set up this tent. Um, and that, that can go across the board to mm-hmm. packing your backpack or filtering water. Yeah, for sure. Not all of us live close to public land and have access to it all the time. And so you could just got to kind of simulate that experience. Um, and what I tell customers, just do it in your yard, bring your kids out, have Netflix night in the tent, um, <laughs> anything. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great one. And I think that's something I need to start instituting pretty soon. I need to start um, making sure I understand, especially how to pack the, my, my backpack to, to work well in your back, especially while you're doing some an active activity like hunting, you know, it's just kind of a whole new aspect to it. But man, that's that's great stuff, and it's been uh, great getting to talk to you about this stuff because you have a ton of experience and uh, you have a lot to share, and we really appreciate it. Um, Jake, thanks so much, man. If somebody wants to uh, uh, learn more about Lux and what y'all have to offer, where should we send them? Um, you can search anywhere on the web, including all social media channels, um, YouTube, Instagram, all that good stuff. Just search for Lux Hacking Gear, and you'll find us, or Lux Tents, L-U-X-E, Tents, um, and we'll pop right up. Yeah, awesome, man. We'll be sure and include that in the show notes below. Uh, Jake, I can't thank you enough, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, have fun this summer, and good luck this fall. Thank you very much for having me again, and I hope somebody found value out of this. I'm sure they did. Man, that was some killer info. If you found this interview helpful, be sure and leave us a review below and comment what you thought was the most helpful tip from this episode. For sure. Make sure you also follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, and also subscribe on YouTube so you can see how these hunts turn out. Remember, this is your element. Live in it. (laughs) Been waiting my whole life for that. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, 
and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.